Let's get into the magic. I'm your host, Sess. And I'm Katie. Today we are joined by our friend Joe, and he also went to the same long-term young adult treatment center that we went to. And he's going to be telling us about the synchronicities and all of the things that led up to him leading a life of sobriety. And a couple weeks ago, Katie and I did an episode about our experience at this treatment center and what we took from it and what it we also needed to untangle from the experience. And so he is here to talk to us a little bit about what he went through. So let's talk about it, Joe. Yeah. What what was the like, what was the last thing, the the bottom, right? That sort of led you to Gatehouse for this next step. Oh, the bottom I'm in Gatehouse. Yeah. So uh so yeah, I mean uh so bottoms are kind of like a weird thing, right? Because it's a subjective experience, right? Yeah. I did I did biker crank when I was 14. I could have said I was done Wait. right there. Let's just call it a bottom. Your life's not going to go up if you're doing crank, right? <laughs> Let's just be done. There's no like gray area. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I always used to laugh. Like nobody does heroin recreationally. Like it's not that sort of thing. Yeah. No, no, no. It's a full it's time like a job. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. It's not like that. Yeah. Exactly. It's like it's not like you smoked a little weed, dropped a little ass, and you had a drink. Like no, like like you're done. It's just called done, right? <laughs> what is biker crank? Oh, biker crank. So like so nowadays they have like this fancy like like glass and like crystal methamphetamines, ice, and all these things like that. Back when I was doing it, it was like orange and like red. <laughs> Like, put it into, like, like, here's like the weird thing. This is how like like sick we are. Is like when like the the cleaner stuff started to come out. We're like, yeah, I kind of miss that. It kind of puts you in like we call it Area 51. Yeah, right? you're like seeing animals and stuff. It puts you there like way fast. Sure. It's, who knows what's going sure, sure. right? It's like super dirty. So this was pre Walter White. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like we want like the non clean yeah. stuff, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, so that's uh, so yeah, I started doing that. Uh, that's what I did my first time. Yeah, like, it's like just before I was 15 years yeah. old. You know, so I found out wow. about it. Right? But, but I had these many points in time along the way, like when I was forced into treatment when I was 18. Uh, you know, like that could have been a bottom. It's like whatever it was. Um, but yeah, the ultimate thing, like the, la- the last time is, uh, I think it was uh, probably the dates from like January, like maybe like, Third to I think roughly January seventh. I call it January seventh my sobriety date. May or may not be exact, right? You know, who knows, right? Wasn't planning on it. Mine is the day that I went into Gatehouse because I was like, I don't know. Before I have no idea. <laughs> Best guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And so and uh, and methamphetamine is uh, different than like heroin addiction, yeah. right? So like. So we, we go on runs and then we take breaks, right? For like a few days and like recharge and then we go. go yeah, you have right? to. <laughs> yeah. So that's, so that, but with like with opiates, you got to keep oh, on yeah. going. You said, yeah, you, yeah. you can't stop. Yeah, it's super painful. If you're basically dependent on alcohol, you have to keep on going or you're going to have a seizure. You're gonna die. Yeah. Math, what happens with us is we take, we take a, uh, we sleep for a few days, uh, we eat a bunch of, uh, oh, cinnamon toast crunch. My life is going good. You have a bunch of that. Wake up, pass out, do that for a few days. And around day four, you feel outstanding. What I learned is because of the half-life of it, methamphetamine is working again within your body. So you're still, so you're still having that dopamine release. And physically, you're replenished, right? Where, where it's difficult for us is that around like day 14, that's when we really start craving because there's like no dopamine. Mm. And what we think is it's like, oh, I feel better. Maybe I should just go do something. You don't, think, you don't put the association. Me personally, I don't put the association. Right. So, so it works in a different timeline than a lot of the other substances. You know, typically our treatment models are made to work with opiates, alcohol, and pills, you know, and prescription pills. They're not made for people who do crack cocaine. And we have an op- we have an opposite cycle. I deal with this every day with health insurance with authorizations because uh, the difficult time for those drugs is day four or five. The difficult times for the other drugs is day one. Yeah, they have, they go in a different cycle, right? Is what's happening. So so yeah, that's that's the challenge with it. So to me, like that's when I that's when I hit bottom with it. And uh, yeah, I remember like my my last day of use, I'd been a uh, smoking crack. Uh, doing that. I uh, started out with a few drinks at the Gold Spike Casino in Las Vegas, playing penny slots, of course. I would just go walk to like downtown Vegas with like with like 15 bucks, right? And just get like free drinks and play penny slots, meet new people, right? And just like run them up for like four or five days. So 
So I did. Because I learned if I didn't bring anything with me, I didn't have anything to lose. Mm. Right? I'd be way better off, you know? But yeah, I just uh, I felt so empty inside. And I was just like, that, that was, if I could just forget it for a minute, that would be okay. Yeah. And eventually what I'd do is I'd hit this point of bottom, you know, where I, where I, you know, I'm probably not employed anywhere anymore. My relationship with my family is, is screwed up. No one wants to talk to me. I don't want to talk to anybody else. I feel like all alone. And I'd feel like a sense of relief from it. Because finally, like, my outsides, like, matched mm-hmm. up my insides. Like, everything, like, made sense, right? You know? So I'd feel relief when I'd hit that bottom, you know? So I was walking down Las Vegas Boulevard, you know, and uh, I'd already dipped out of the cabbie. I got a cab driver. It's nice when her, her wanted to drive me somewhere. I dipped out of the cab fare with her and ran, right? So when I did that, I'm just like, and I'm hungry because I haven't eaten for a few days. Uh, so I go steal some cheese and crackers, right, from a, from a store, some cheese and crackers, right? Uh, I do that, uh, and uh, actually, uh, no, I stole a Snickers bar first from the Seven Eleven. Great, yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> you know, I'm a, uh, and then uh, and I'm going down to the next place. I sell cheese and crackers, and the guy catches me, right? So I get into it with him, and I throw cheese and crackers at him, right? And, like take off and whatever. And I bring some stuff because I actually went back and made a mess. Wow. So that guy was his third day on the job. Uh, five years, five six years later, roughly, when I made a mess. Wow. Uh, he was manager of the store, right? Did he remember you? Yeah, yeah, he remembered. That <laughs> was the cracker throwing. <laughs> it was his third day of the job, right? And then he was like that the store, right? You know what I mean? And uh, so when I did that type of stuff, and uh, you know, on the, the Snickers bar things, I had to go make amends to that. And these two women just start crying, you know, because they because they have uh, kids. One woman tells me that her, like a, there was a kid or a nephew that was an addiction, and like it gave her like hope to like and those type of experiences. So. You know, I'm just like kind of skimming across the bottom, you know, and uh, um, doing those things. And my parents asked me, they're like, uh, uh, are you ready to go to treatment? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go to treatment. I ended up at a wilderness treatment center. Uh, and I've probably been sober about that. By the time I got placed there, I've been sober probably about two weeks, two, three weeks, something like that. And all I could do was sit on the couch and eat uh, Tosca lasagna, right? <laughs> and uh, and watch uh, a full metal, full metal jacket. I think Lord of the Rings. Which is a really uplifting movie. So I'm glad you were watching Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> and just like passing out and eating this food, right? <laughs> so I probably put on like 30 pounds like in two weeks. It's all I do. It's like couldn't leave That's house, standard right? though. That's standard. Just everyone who's listening, like that's standard when you get sober is like you just, you don't know how to function. So you just like lay around and eat and like, your capacity and your knowing for like what your body needs and wants isn't there. So you just eat or you don't eat or something, yeah. but you're not, you're never right when you first get sober ever. <laughs> <You ain't right. laughs> yeah. And I'm sure there is some function deep down to that. You know what I mean? Like my body's just like, I need something to like fix all yeah. this you know, at the same time. But there's also a thing where like, I literally don't have any other ideas about what to do. Right. Which is my, my big problem. I can remember times like, uh, like, I would have the sincere desire to... So a lot of times people think, like, oh, people don't want to quit. Clearly not true. I want to quit all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right? Like, it was just, like, I would go back and forth, and I would struggle with it. And I would say, I'm never doing this again. Like, F this, F that. I'm not doing this ever again, right? You know? And I would uh, and I would take my meth pilot, and I'd go throw it out in, like, the trash can out in the street and stuff like that and everything. And I'd feel, like, invigorated and empowered. I'd run out of ideas 10 minutes later and I'd be out there like in my boxer shorts digging some tall trash can to get my meth pipe. You know what I mean? I have (laughs) smoked meth out of a trash can meth pipe as well, (laughs) Joe. I have done all of that. It's like the craziest shit. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do whatever it takes to to get, you know, whatever I think can like fix this thing that I have inside myself. Yeah. So... So yeah, like, like there I am. So it's like I always think like my problem isn't stopping is I don't have any other ideas. Yeah. <laughs> what to do next? You know what I mean? Like the desire is there, you know. Um, the other component that, that really became clear to me later on is that I had, I had those bottom moments hundreds yeah. of times, right? Um, you know, um, and what would happen was is I didn't have a way out that I could see, right? And, 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 and instead of feeling like that absolute hopelessness that I felt, right? It was easier for me to go back in the delusion that I that I can manage, rather than to face absolute absolute hopelessness of my situation. So once I uh, so of course it takes some type of leap of faith, and for me that was treatment. I was like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. 
been in that thing before. And maybe there was something there because this guy brought in a meeting every week and he was like 10 years sober. And, uh, and like at that point, I didn't care if he was cool or not anymore. Like, I just don't even care. Yeah. I just don't want to suffer. Yeah. So that was my, that was my solution to it. I think once that, once there was hope, right? Uh, I was able to face the full, like the hopelessness of my condition. My ability to manage my alcoholism, my drug addiction on my own, my mental health, whatever it was. Yeah. So uh, there's that component of hope. That's, a, that's one of the beautiful things that you get with uh, things like community support groups or different right. different communities where there are people recovered. Is that you? You can't uh, you can't textbook that. You can't medication that. You can't do anything. No. <laughs> Is that, yeah, uh, but when uh, and when I got to Gatehouse, one of the things I remember is remember uh, if you guys remember Randy, yeah. right? Oh, mm. Randy's like Randy was like 10, 11 years sober at the time. He's from Oklahoma. He can sing together every AA saying yeah. together like perfectly. You know what With I mean? With a twang. You know? <laughs> and he'd give really playing this really powerful thing, and then he'd go off on his, and he'd go off on some tangent and be like, "Well, that's how I make meth in your trailer." <laughs> With that, anyway, God is good, and uh, <laughs> you know, and he would like get into that. He'd be like, and he have rope flares catch himself and like, okay, I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be giving you the greetings from that or whatever. You know, but, uh, but like a deeply like spiritual person, you know, that just like, yeah, a guy like this clicks and makes sense. He had, he had a way about himself. That still wasn't attainable to me. Right. But within a community, this is one of the, actually the good things about gatehouses. I saw guys that had three months, six months, nine months that were within my demographic. That was attainable. Yeah. Right? It's like uh, it's like if I just picked up running, right? And I see someone run a four minute mile, it doesn't do anything for me. But if I can see someone that gets like a nine or ten minute mile, that's that's attainable. Right. The model that I can follow. I also think there's something about the fact that when you're around a community and people that are your age and have gone through similar things, you can all share and talk about that experience. Where like maybe it's not in the most healthy way all the time, but it's not in the dark. It's not in shadow. It's not that you're scared of talking. Talking about these things, you get to sort of like process and sort of refeel and then let go of and reframe all of these things that you did and all of these experiences that you had good, bad, hilarious, scary, whatever they were. Yeah. And then we learned how to have humor around them too, which is, I mean, some people who may not have the experience that we're having might be listening to this and be like, why are they joking about this shit? Or if it's because you have to have humor around experiences like that. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's a higher form of placing it somewhere else. It's not that we immediately started with this. It's that having those discussions with people, having those processes and that experience allowed us to frame it in a way so that it's not attached to us, right? It's like a past thing that we did, but that's not who we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not that person today. I'm someone different. Yeah. yeah. And just laughing at the absurdity of like, yeah, how your brain used to function. Right. It's not relatable <laughs> in this moment. No, it's not. And that's part of it is like, it is and it isn't relatable. You're like, how did I ever? But also I know that I did. Yeah, like that was yeah. my life, right? Like, that was crazy. That was completely normal, yeah. completely okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was just how it was. But yeah, we can laugh about it because we've come out on right. the other side. But I think that's a process of doing that. Is that. I have to find a way to detach from that whole identity. And it's literally, it's a different person. It's a completely different person. I don't know if you guys have gotten this, but sometimes I'll go hang out with, with old friends and like I started doing this. And the drive was to recreate that same system. But because of my experience, I didn't fit that system anymore. So like it disrupted it. And they're just like baffled at times. They know it's me. They know it's me. They know it's the same person, everything. But they're experiencing it in a different way. It just, it somehow like causes like a shift in their schema. We're like, oh, I have to like reorganize how we do this. Because Joe's no longer the fuck up that I go hang out with every, every like once a year when I want to like just fuck off my life. Right. You know, yeah. I have that experience even now. Like, so I had a group of friends in Boston who I still talk to, but I don't see that often. And it's been like eight or nine years since I've really been in that group. And uh-huh. like the amount of growth that I've had even since then, like them talking to me now, they kind of don't know, you know, and I was sober then. Like I was doing, doing all the things, but I was just different. How I was handling life, how I was to look at things was just different. And so today when I come at them with the way that I am today, they're all kind of like, who's this? Like, you know how this does not compute. Like, how do I? Like, does not compute. No. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. that's the beauty of the journey that we've all, that we're 
are all on, you know? Like one of my friends, I was talking to him yesterday and he said this thing that I just thought was brilliant. He said, he goes, healing is not something you do. It's something you choose to become. Mm, yeah. Mm. You know? And like, yeah. so it's something that we've chosen to become our healed versions of ourselves in every present moment, you know? Yeah. I love that as a process and as a choice, you know, rather than- It like is a choice. Something that- To evolve and shift. And if other people around you aren't doing that, it's very hard yeah. to, to still hold those friendships or relationships in the same light anymore. Yeah. It's difficult. And uh, sometimes to me, because um, I don't know like why I was like touched and given like what I'm given, but like I like love it, <laughs> right? I just, want, I just want other people to have that. I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, uh, I'm like, you know that person you think you are? You may not be that person, right? right? <laughs> those limits that you have for yourself, yeah. those aren't really there, right? You can let those go. You know what I mean? You, you can be that, that idealized person of yourself and have that self-actualization is, I think, what Maslow, yeah. what Abraham Maslow describes it, which is this process of, I would say, like spiritual awakening or uh, becoming uh, who, who I'm supposed to be. Um, the recent one is uh, that gets me is, uh, I think it's uh, Michelangelo. He's the sculptor yeah. guy, right? Yeah. He's, he's a sculptor ninja turtle. That's how <laughs> I think of it, right? <laughs> so... Uh, so uh, they asked him something in a sense, and I'll probably hack this up. Um, they go like, well, how do you come up with like your sculptures? He's like, oh, the sculpture is already there, right? I'm just chiseling away the other parts of it. Right? Yeah. You know? So like, he's like, he's like, creation, God has already created the sculpture. My job is just to chisel it. Yeah. 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 That's the becoming, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. like us choosing to become something. Yeah. Like, because we, we, there's a point where you realize like you're already whole, all of you. Even the pieces that you thought were, you know, they're just needed to be put in the right spot. And the fact is, is that because you did that, you're not in that current space anymore. You're in this. That's it. Like we're whole. We just have to unwind like all of that stuff that we built on. And I think that's kind of the theme that we're talking about too, which I think you liked from our previous podcast, Joe, which was that Gatehouse was a brilliant, beautiful experience in a lot of ways. And it helped in a lot of ways, but there were some ways that it that it added more stuff to us. Like we were shedding things that were immediately really not great for us, but we were adding certain other things and structures and belief systems that might've been helpful for a couple of years, but aren't helpful to be living with anymore. Yeah. That's what I'm most interested in is like how, like what were some of those things for you? Oh uh, yeah. So uh, some of the things for me was uh, uh, the problem process of uh of thinking that i had to produce something that i had to do something right so my process now is like is like people have like intrinsic worth they're just worthy right yeah. <laughs> like that's it like you're, you're just like beautiful and amazing you don't, do, you don't do a freaking thing right? you know what i mean i let's start from that point instead of this idea that i have to do something to be something right? yeah uh, why not do something because you are something and that's just a manifestation. Just, just switch whatever. Like you know, once everything's chiseled away, why don't you just do it, do it as a manifestation of that? You know? Right. Uh, yeah. The other things of uh, so I don't know if it's what Gatehouse did or if it was uh, probably what it is. Is that uh, this idea that uh, sobriety is like? Uh, so it's, it's weird for me. It's like it's something like a work to me, but someone's work isn't based off their sobriety. Mm -hmm. You know, it's over time that they are or not. Right. Yeah. I don't care if you get drunk or high or use heroin or anything, right? It's not like an accomplishment, right? And if I make that my metric for success, amount of sober time, I have, yeah. or like whatever it is, you know, A, B, and C that I'm doing or whatever it is, I'm not going to be happy with that. It's a, it's a self-made metric, right? Yeah. And eventually, like, what will happen is it'll keep me sick. Sick because I'm so bad on this idea of holding up this image of you know it's just like it's like I just, I just shed one ego for another for another mm -hmm. you know what I mean um, is the judgment you you like so much in sobriety we learn okay this is how you do it this is how you don't and if you don't do it like yeah, this, this is sober and this isn't sober behavior and there's judgment and we kind of go into that very deeply in all stages of sobriety a couple years in three i think at two i was like at an all-time egotistical oh, yeah. high but, oh <laughs> like two to three like, probably yeah it was terrible twos <laughs> and sometimes that behavior just continues because it gives you a sense of safety yeah. you know and I don't find safety in that 
today. Well, because it's a clinging, right? It's a, it's an egoic structure that helps us cling to something. If I do this thing, if I do all of these in this exact way, then I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, you're okay. Yeah. You're okay. You're here. You're present. You're aware. You are okay. You know, like you're capable of making choices for yourself about things that you do and do not need to do. Like there's, I don't know. Katie's about to pop off. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, like the, the one that gets me about, yeah, I need to do, if I just do A, B, C, and D, everything's going to happen. To me, it reminds me of like, and I'm not like a Bible guy, but I like the story of the Tower of Babel where you feel like these great, this like stairway to heaven. Yeah. That's what it's going to be. That's what it is. You know, I want the stability. Yeah. I don't want the security. Where my growth, like I know for me spiritually, it depends on my abandonment to whatever the universe wants. It's complete abandonment and vulnerable. It's like whatever it is. You know, um, I like what you're saying, Sess, is that it's not about like, I'm not being safe. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got to, I got to take some, some risks. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it can become pathological people's adherence to like what this idea of like recovery is. It can, it can stop their recovery, you know? But to me, when I see it now, like I feel like sad. So like, uh, I experience where I went and I heard this uh, this woman's story. A good story. She had a great story of hope. I went and I heard it. And everyone was like, wow. And I was like, yeah, there's something that seemed right on it. And I heard it again a week later and it was exactly the same. Uh, exact same words. Like it was rehearsed. And I go, oh my gosh, like the pain. Because I go up there, I don't have a plan. It's different every time. Let's see what comes out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't ever want to rehearse my experience in the spiritual way. Plus, this just happened on Thursday. So I got to talk exactly. about this now. Exactly. Because Joe, that's constant growth. That's different than yeah. taking an experience, having a little blip about it and just sharing it over and over and over again because this is what I'm going to gain from it and this is what I learned and da 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 da. It's di- a very different type of approach than going, this is who I am. This is what I've experienced. How is it helping me today? What am I learning from today? What do I need to hear or need to share or want to think about today? That's like actually integrating that experience, that darkness into your life and making it become something more than it ever could have been. For keeping it and saying, okay, I shine light on this dark spot and here it is. I'm putting it over here and that's just how it's always going to be. It's just in this little thing that I take out yeah. and show people and tell them about and then I put it back. First having it a part of you. A healed part of you. I remember when I got to Gatehouse and like early sobriety, I had a very hard time telling the truth literally about anything. There's like a safety about keeping something to myself. Not like today how it's like you, you get to decide what you tell people right. and if they need to know. But it was, oh, it, this happened and then I like leave out literally the most important part or I just can't tell the truth to save my life and if you know we have 17 years 17 <laughs> okay <laughs> if i'm still struggling with that and i haven't continued to grow and peel back who i am and who i'm becoming now it's you know it's obviously not about like honesty anymore that it's about so much so much bigger things like who am i in relationships what are my blind spots like how am i dancing with the dark side of myself and continuing to see myself and accept myself more fully which really allows you to accept and see other people more fully. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. It's it's huge. And Joe and I talked about that last week after we hung up the call was the in- integrated spiritual approach of just, it's not just one thing. No. It can't. It can't be. So many people get stunted in that. And it's like, well, this has to work because it worked it, you know, a couple years ago. And I mean, I'm speaking from experience. It's like, I'm going to try to force this one thing to work again today, even though that was three years ago and I've gone through a lot and maybe I need to try something more or like just expand the expand the circle a little yeah. more. I know. I noticed like early on I had checklists in my head because it made me feel safe and secure. Like, okay, I got up and I meditated. Check. I made my smoothie. Check. I did this. Check. I did that. Check. And it's like then, and that was great. And I really enjoyed that for a long period of time. And then at one point it became a literal checklist and I was begrudgingly doing these things. And where's spirit in that? Yeah, there's no spirit in that. And I was, I sat there and I thought, wait, why am I doing this as if this if I'm not called to be doing this? And that's like how I flow with things, you know, is I can at this point trust my instincts and my knowing enough to go, what am I called to and what am I not called to in my spiritual integration of this life and this experience on a daily basis? Sometimes that's getting up early and hiking and meditating. Sometimes that's sleeping in and sitting with the coffee out in my backyard. You know, like it can be different on different days. It's yeah, it's it's totally different. It's not as formal. Like, here's my seven minutes of meditation. Yeah. Here I read my daily reflection. Here I leave this, right? What I love about our house uh, is that we just have all types of spiritual books and all this random stuff everywhere. So, like, 
my mind wanders. I'm like, oh, what's up with that? Yeah. <laughs> like read that. You know, sometimes it's doing nothing, right? <laughs> Just nothing, right? Uh, sometimes uh, one of the things that's, oh, one of the other things is on the same subject is that uh, what I had to unlearn from data house say, sometimes just kind of learn how to like, just, just dance, just do the dance. It's after we work all the time. Right, yeah. Sometimes you just sit in it, you know, and just like enjoy it. Like, because I've worked the steps a bunch of times, right? And I got a good sponsor. He's like, yeah, I didn't do the time to dance. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to like hang out, you know, live the spiritual life, you know, like spread, just do whatever, enjoy life, you know, do things you like doing, go to some concerts, sporting events, whatever it is. Do whatever you're going to do, right? You know what I mean? And then, like, you know, once a year, we'll come back and we'll do, like, a little, little four-step on some things that, that's kind of hanging out there. You know what I mean? So it doesn't have to be this constant struggle, this constant work, this constant process of, like, uh, self-evaluation. Sometimes you got to, like, let it go and enjoy it. You got to enjoy your life. Right. Because at some point, right, at some point you have to trust that if there is something big that I need to look at in the moment, I'm going to feel it. Mm-hmm. Right? If I do a behavior yeah. or I say something or I'm whatever in the moment, I know that. I know it because it feels uncomfortable because I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I was a dick. Oh, and that came from me being angry at this because I'm scared about this. Like, okay, hey, sorry about that. Like, I apologize for my behavior. And it doesn't have to be this big thing about like, let me sit mm-hmm. you down oh. and let me do this whole process. It's like, no, because I can go through those things and no. It's not like an excavation. I think that's one thing, Joe, and I'm interested because I know Sess and I have talked about this, but I'm interested to hear your take on it is when Gatehouse and getting sober and some of the things that we were taught in that experience, like I said, have been really beautiful because I was not trustworthy enough to learn how to take care of myself or to learn how to evaluate my own behavior. So I had to be taught how to do that. And I had to be taught that like, I didn't fucking know, like, you don't know, Katie, this is what you're doing. But there was like a hard sort of process for me to come back around and take my power back. Like we're talking about that knowing and going, no, I know, I know how to do this. I know my part. And it's not ego. It's just a true internal knowing of your experience and trusting that experience and spirit to guide you in that knowing versus having your power taken away and sort of being like, yeah, I don't, I, you tell me what I did wrong versus I know what I did. Right. Or you tell me what to do in this situation versus like, no, I, I know how to handle the situation but I would like your input on it, you know? So the reality is when I started, I was pretty safe talking to other people and seeking advice. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a lot There's a lot to that. I think there's a huge aspect to seeking out uh, spiritual mentors professionally. That's been great for me. I'm like, hey, I'm starting a business. What do I do? They're like, get an account. I don't know any accounts. Use this guy. You know, it's been so helpful to me. You know, that same principle. It's like, ask for help. Yeah. I need an insurance guy. Here's, here's our insurance guy. That's yeah. beneficial to me, but... Uh, the book says, like when you read the big book, it talks about we learn how to become rely upon our intuition. It talks about that process and we learn through trial and error, right? So there has to be a, a point in time where I stop asking my sponsor everything and just like, just do stuff, right? And you learn, right? You learn how to do that because the other thing the big book says is the great reality is deep down with it. God is in every man, woman, child, whatever you want to call it, higher power, spirit, universe. There's no like uh, access points to it. I don't think where I got to talk to this guru, this preacher, whatever, right? You know, it's it's right there. My favorite principle of spiritual growth or whatever it is is that whatever power is out there isn't it making it isn't making it hard for me to access? It? I just have I just have to ask, right? And when I find that, I don't even have to formally ask. My soul can ask, right? And I can access that power without my even knowing of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's what, that's what drives me around. You know, I've, I've seen that. I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I kind of think at any given moment, I'm always praying, right? Yeah. I'm always asking for something. I don't even know. It. But what am I praying for? <laughs> and am I going to get it? You know? So, I mean, uh, the process of like coming back to that, I mean, yeah, is, uh, is huge. But that's that's what's supposed to happen, right? It's not ego to to have that, right? Ego works works both ways. Maybe I think I'm... I've inflated sense of self. Maybe I have a deflated sense of self. So ego, I know there's a million different definitions for it. You know, some are like, uh, we go to psychology, to Eckhart Tolle, it's, it's all of it. One of the definitions I've heard is, is the thought of who we are. If the thought of who I am is who I am, then that is an ego. It doesn't exist. If I, have a, if I have a true sense of self. But I think it's important to be able to own the power that we do have. Uh, to dismiss that power as another force of ego. Me being uh, subservient. It's me being in self-pity. It's me... You know, downplaying the fact that this power has had on my life. It's an act of selfishness. 
Um, what's not selfish is being our authentic true self and letting the world experience that. Even though to some people, actions in being your authentic true self can look selfish, right? Yeah. I have that all the time where it's like, no, I, I need time to myself. I need to prioritize like my centeredness and my being before I can even show up for you at this moment. Because I'm not centered, yeah. which means I can't show up for you in the way that I want to and the way that you might want me to. But that's something that you're taught. I mean, even like an AA, right? When anyone anywhere reaches out for help, to always be there, regardless of if you're centered and ready or okay. Well, I was just going to say, it's like the other thing of like always being there for somebody, like always answering the phone, always like giving advice or being an ear. It's like you're depriving them of their own experience of looking deeper within themselves. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that moment of struggle, like you can sit with yourself. That's huge. And that's where I think I, I learned a lot from Alan on in that respect too. You know, I learned some great things from there. Yeah. Um, but what my sponsor does, what we do is that if someone asks me to sponsor them, I go, okay, well, we'll consider I have to bring that back to bring that to prayer. I bring it to my heart now. Because uh, the, the arbitrary thing of, of I sponsor everyone that asks for help from precludes intuition. My job is to get in touch with intuition. You know, that's what it is, right? So I, so I sit there and I ask, ask if this is right. You know what I mean? And usually it is, you know. Sometimes it may be not, though. But the, but the point is, is that we have to sit there and ask. Because uh, I can turn service work into selfishness. I've seen it happen all the time. Yeah, into a, into a badge of honor. Look at all this stuff that I've done. Look at all these people that I've helped, right? Like So what we say in our group is like, there's enough service work in AA to where you never have to get well. <laughs> yeah, you can just run around distracting yourself, helping people. <laughs> yeah, you just show up, right? Like, uh, so there's this guy from uh, back in Prescott, this guy, this guy Ricky, right? And just like loving the death and everything. But we had a time limit, how long you could tear the group. He'd been going like eight months, man. We're like, hey, hey, buddy, right? <laughs> he had six other service, and he'd been sober, I think, like a year, probably eight months. It's the longest he'd ever had. And we're like, well, why do you have those service missions, Richie, right? He's like, well, they're keeping me sober. It's like, wouldn't you like to have five other people be sober too? Oh. <laughs> like, like, spread the wealth a little bit, man. But yeah, so once again, it's a, uh, uh, so. When I look at the big book, it says selfishness and self-seeking will slip. So if I'm doing service work to remain sober, I'm selfish. I'm still sick. And this is all a process, right? Like we all know these things. Like early on, you're like, let me do all this stuff to distract myself. Let me help because it makes me feel better. That's all. It's all a process to truly grow and expand. You have to let go of those things. And it is, it is part of a process. Like um, uh, the thing that fascinates me is like looking back is how many times uh, universe has used my own ego and pride to put me in the right place. My own shortcomings to put me in the right place and do the right things. You know, I did. Uh, I did. I shared my first inventory because I was embarrassed that I hadn't done it yet. I was, I was ashamed. I wanted people to like me, right? <laughs> and uh, and regard. And I didn't think it was going to work. And I did that. And I hadn't experienced it. Uh, there's times I just like uh, you know I've. Been in the right, yeah, I've, I've been in the right place for completely the wrong reasons, and by the end of that situation, I was like, "Oh, that's why." Yeah, <laughs> you know, like um, it fascinates me in a sense um, that yeah, that's why it's important. I think for me to like not not to judge myself too hard. You know what I mean? There, Absolutely. There, there's something guiding this whole thing, and it's bigger than me, and it understands my human. It values that human. So we're created as, as humans to have these like alleged flaws, you know, which I don't think a creator thinks are flaws whatsoever, right? <laughs> For a reason, we're, we're nuanced, we're different. We have we have an X factor to this, right? Uh, it's important to embrace that. Oh, that's that's a, another thing is I thought recovery was uh, walking on water and being perfect. No, it's it's more about being in touch and loving my humans and my shortcomings and the shadow and all those things you know that I tried to tuck away the shame from. I just love it, you know. So it's uh, I think that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about he talks about nourishing your anger, nourishing her as a child, holding it, and, like loving it, and those type of things like that. Same type of thing. That's what we do, I think, when we're laughing at yeah. ourselves or our neighbors. Is that we're loving ourselves? Yeah. No, <laughs> and I do that all the time still. Like, I still will think about, like, little Katie or Katie in this experience or whatever. And I just, like, there's just so much love for that for that version of me, you know? And no, no shame or fear or guilt or any of that. Just, like, love. Because if this is all a process and this is a life experience that I've chosen, which is something I 
I believe, right? That I chose this experience. My spirit was like, this is this is the experience that you're going to have. Do you agree? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I get to participate fully with that perspective. And I get to see every part of my entire life thus far and everything that's going to happen as this beautiful symphony of creating something for me to grow from. I also love the visual of a tapestry and everything coming together yeah. so beautifully. Yeah. And every once in a while, it's like the more you do this sort of stuff, the more you can learn to stand back and look versus being stuck in it. Like when you're stuck Mm -hmm. in a mural or a tapestry or something, you're there and you're just like looking at everything that's immediately around you. But when you can stand back from like an observer's perspective, you can see the whole thing. And how all the pieces Mm -hmm. and parts of you like have come together to create this beautiful masterpiece that is your current life. And I just love the ability that I've, that through these experiences, I've gained the ability to do that, to have that perspective because I couldn't before. And it it requires like taking steps back too, to see the whole thing. Like when you're in it, you know, or like the, going back to like the Michelangelo, like the David, it's like all you see right in front of you is like this white piece of stone. You have to retreat back and look and observe it as a whole like oh wow look how cool that was look how beautiful this is instead of like being so like freaking obsessed with like right here right now like what's right in front of me and acknowledging like oh wow that that curve that's so beautiful and like that was really hard to do but look how magical it has made the whole entire piece of art overall sort of like a detachment spiritually from an identification with you with yourself, like I'm this person having this experience in this experience versus sitting there going like, no, I'm spirit looking at this little human who's having this experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a spirit body. And I mean, I gotta, and yeah, I still get, I I see my old self all the time. I mean, I I mean, I believe that there's even some time timeline that's in the house on, you know, Washington and Eastern in Vegas, sifting through the dumpster diving. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to be me. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's kind of think how it works. I think we're helping each other out. Yeah. Ourselves out, other versions of ourselves and other timelines. So. Ram Das, one of his favorite famous quotes is, we're just walking each other home. And it's like, I kind of love that because we're walking each other and ourselves, all these versions of ourselves home. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what you were talking about, Seth, when you were talking about hyper-focusing on these things, I, this brought me up to like when I'm when I'm drilled into like doing something, like something I'd be like worthy to put on a fourth step or something like that, where I just like can't get unfocused, you know what I mean? And that type of thing. But it's so true. There's that. When I look at the grand scheme of things, I think the more I've been doing this, the more easier it is easier for me. Is that when things are happening, I'm not as affected by them because I just understand that's that's just like how that's gonna go and it's okay. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I used to get so like mad and frustrated because things because I felt like I was doing all the right things, right? I yeah. did all the right things. I was decent. I see people like not doing those things, you know. Especially professionally, I got this a lot, and I'm like, why are they? get those things that I want and that I feel like I deserve that I put in the work to do. Why are they getting those and they're not doing anything to deserve? And I was resentful. And then I watched it over 10 years. I'm like, oh, God was like, uh, God wasn't like um, closing doors for me because he was closing that door. He's like, he's like, I got something better for you. You don't need yeah. to go down that road. <laughs> I yeah. just said better for you. I don't need to go down that road. I saw how it played out, you know, like 10, 15 years later. I'm like, oh, thank God. That didn't know yeah. Anything. I could, have been, I could have been stuck at gay house, you know, <laughs> and working there. You know? There's like that, also that belief too, that it's just like, why is this happening for them and not for me? And then it's also just this, my life is not supposed to be like theirs. I have different life spirit journeys that I'm supposed to go on that they're not. We're all here to learn different things and to experience different things. You know, I'm not going to get into like past lives right now because it's really not what this is about, but <laughs> We're on board. (laughs) Like, okay, I'm not here to learn those lessons. I learned those a a long time ago. I'm here to learn different ones, you know, to just accept it. It it is perfect unfolding and to trust more, not to grip more into what I think I need or what I think I wanted to trust more in the flow and just kind of go down the river on my floaty. On my little floaty. (laughs) I like like the idea of floaties. I'm going to think of that next time. (laughs) This is my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my are on. I'm flowing. I'm fine. <laughs> so one of the other things that also struck me about Gatehouse, and this is really related to that length of stay thing, is, uh, is and I know you can relate to it, is the, the bonding that you experience with other people. I really feel that a lot of the magic and powerful moments 
happened in the space outside of trees. Yeah. But what, so it wasn't in, in circle. It wasn't while we were doing this. It wasn't doing that. It was all those moments in between and the space that allowed allowed for that, for those type of things to happen. So, I mean, uh, you know, I remember I had a moment where, uh, I don't know if you guys, I'll just bring it up. No, I don't think you were there yet. But yeah, they had a thing. It's, it's you know, these like gatehouse scandals, right? Yeah, there's so many. This one, was, this one was dubbed the underground porno. Wait, is this when you guys got porn from your neighbor? No, this is from a, no, this is from a Seropolis, right? They had like a, a whole like big trunk full of porn, right? And they Like vintage, like Playboys? What's that? Yeah, Playboys, like houses, things like that, you know? One or two hustlers, nothing oh too crazy. Right? This was a very like curated class. Yeah, this was like smut, like some good smut. Yeah, not necessarily porn. Yeah, yeah donated to uh, <laughs> to Sir Optimus out of the goodness of, of his or her heart. I'm not sure. Maybe they, maybe they had a life changing experience. And they decided. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> so we had that like whole experience, and uh, and it was really weird. Is that like uh, there was people you could tell about it, and people you couldn't tell about it. Because uh, people, uh, I know, I know, everyone was quiet. Right? There was like, there's no more, there was no like contention or argument in the male community. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> it was like it was like three days of peace, right? You know, it was like three days of peace and everything like that. And then uh, one of my buddies like is like, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, like, don't. Worry. Yeah, don't ruin it. We were just sick people, just like scraping down the walls for any type of dopamine. Also, like looking at porn isn't wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it's not wrong. So it's not. It's, it's not at all. It, 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 everything's it wrong. But a gatehouse, yeah, everything can have shame attached with it. <laughs> and there's so much shame to unpack when you get sober too. Yeah, you know, through this process, you know. Uh, but also, like, like for me in that particular situation, especially in my history of drug abuse, like, like it wasn't okay. I was a writer comfortable to do that right you know what i mean uh but i remember uh during this time i remember like seeing like well go into our bathroom right and like it just like struck me i was like he just went in the bathroom just like, it's like well maybe i could try doing that right mm-hmm. <laughs> i opened up a huge thing with me it had nothing to do with what went on in circle it had nothing to do with what went on in therapy group nothing like that but there was an experience of seeing my friend i was struggling yeah you know what I mean? and that like stuff like that other things, you know, we, we laugh about our experiences, right? Uh, there was this time uh, Zach and I didn't really see eye to eye for some reason. I have no idea why. <laughs> we haven't figured out why. Uh, but we were smoking inside a smoking pit, and we got on the subject of crystal meth, and we talked about the most extravagant crystal meth pipes we smoked. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we had some things that we could relate to. Um, and through that process, like not even during a group or anything like that, we right. had a process of identification, right? And that feeling of being separate from or apart from. Had, had like started to yep. that was how we could connect that was our that was our that was what stage of development right mm-hmm. <laughs> you talk about that yeah you know what i mean uh, just little things like that so it created space for certain things like that to happen certain type of connections to happen. yeah no i had one experience i actually wrote about it where i kate was my sponsor and i would had gotten in trouble at the ranch for like trying wiccan stuff because i was i'm not like i mean i was i grew up in a christian church but it was not for me and i'm fairly rebellious so it was like definitely not for me you know so i started studying wiccan stuff at the ranch and i got in trouble for that and wasn't allowed to have that as my higher power which was further fuel for me to be victimized and be in self-righteousness at the same time, right? Like they're not allowing me who needs to have a power power to have this higher power that works for me. This is, you know what I mean? Like that's where I was at. (laughs) Yeah. So like exactly victimization and self-righteousness, like the perfect combination. Thank God we don't do that anymore. I mean, every once in a while, but not to that degree, right? <laughs> like, I'm self righteousness can come up for me. I'm just saying. Um, but um, you have like the space to observe it now. Yes, I can laugh at it now. Like, I'm like, there it is. We know when we're doing it. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like to dig into it because I'll be a lot, a lot of opportunities to be self righteous. So if I get oh, one, oh, fuck I'm yeah, use I'm going to use it hard. <laughs> And then I'll be like, yeah, that's a little extreme, Johnny. Yeah. But like, I want to feel that. Yeah, for a minute, no, agreed. Know? It's like not, not terribly, but yeah. And it's just the one yeah. And it's sneaky too. It's a sneaky one. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway, so I went up to the main campus and Kate was my sponsor and Kate was Wiccan. She studied that. She was the manager of the girl's house and that was allowed. So it was like this 
sort of beautiful, like, shut up, Katie. This was like, not because of your belief system. This is because your behavior around it. <laughs> like, that's what it was. Uh, but I remember I had had, I had been feeling like off. I don't remember exactly what was going on. And Kate was like, why don't you go outside and just like do a rain dance? Like, just go do a rain dance outside. And so I went because... And I had a connection to Kate because she worked at the hospital that I was born in, which was really crazy. And shared in Wyoming, she was from there and that's where I was born and she worked in a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But she was, and she like grew up on, you know, in, with a lot of native influence and all that. And so she told me to go do, like, she's like, I don't know what it looks like, but go do a rain dance. So I go out into the girls smoking pit, which is huge, right? There are people out there, of course, because there were always people out there. And I start just like dancing, like hands up, hands down, hands up, hands down in a circle and like screaming and doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, I think Nikki was there, a few other people. And and then everyone that was in the pit started joining me. Everyone. Nobody. I had said nothing, like nothing about this. And they're just like, all right, yeah, no, I get this. I'm going to do this. And then more women came and more of them came. And we we're in this huge fucking circle around the trash can with the smoking pit shit in it, doing this, like screaming. And it fucking rained. It rained when we did that. And that was, I mean, that's like one of the most magical experiences I think I've ever had. Not only to be joined by community without question, but then to have it rain yeah. as well. And then the next day we got confronted in circle. Like when you girls were screaming, da, 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 da. And we all just laughed and shrugged. We're like, yeah, we're not going to explain it. <laughs> yeah, so what? Uh, yeah. That like that's like the thing that we're doing now, Katie, too. It's like you just start doing your thing and people yeah. will join you. You have to trust that. And even if they don't or understand it, but they want to be around that energy, too. Totally. Yeah. Uh, like energy attracts like energy. You know what I mean? This is so fun, you guys. I feel so alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the it's like the aiming you know, I always want. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> The AA meeting he always wanted. <laughs> this is what I always wanted to be like. Well, you'll have to be a regular guest, Joe. We would love for you to like pop in and have yeah. input and feedback on topics that we're talking about. Oh, I got, I got an opinion on everything. Plus, I'm into all types of weird self-experiment shit. I'll share. Hell yeah. That's like kind of what we wanted to do on this anyway, is just like talk about all the crazy things we do to heal. Oh, I've, uh, yeah, I'm, I've taken pretty much every like test you can take. Or the final one is getting the full body MRI. I've had all types of weird health stuff like that. I'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I got all I got all manic on this health health kick in like this past six months and was kinda of wild with it. A lot of fun, you know. I don't think manic's a bad thing, right? I think you should just, I think I think as long as you can function, I think my thought is is that anyone who ever created anything or did anything special for this world qualifies for a DSM five diagnosis. I'm sure they yeah. you know. And what we try to do is we, we pathologize uh, that type of deviance. We we miss out on so much healthy deviance. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, instead of just understanding, like, yeah, that's a natural progression. That's what the universe needs, and we're trying to suppress it. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. And, it, and it's crazy. I'm like, I get it. If someone can't function, and they want to do that. 100, percent go do that, right? But we're pushing on people and just not even giving them a chance. Yeah, <laughs> and letting them know what it actually does. Right. I mean, I think that I one thing that I think is like we've talked about that's interesting is that common experience, right? Like brought us all to the three of us and everyone else that we know that experienced Gatehouse to that moment in time where we were getting sober and struggling and moving forward. But it's really cool to see and to like reconnect with you, Joe, because it shows that experience does bring us together. And the fact that we have all continued on similar pathways of growth, right? It's not the past experience that is currently bringing us together at this moment. It's not that we all went to Gatehouse. It's what we've done with the experience of having gone through Gatehouse and how we're living today that actually called all three of us back to have this conversation, right? And that's what we talk about all the time is just that continuation of being curious, right? Because curiosity doesn't mean that you're attached to something. It doesn't mean that you've decided what something is or what it needs to or what it needs to be. It just means that you're looking and you're flowing and you're willing to see like, let's carry this one to there. Oh, cool. That brought me here. Now I'm going to go over here. Oh, cool. That brought me to this spot. And it's all like we've all had different experiences since Gatehouse, but it's brought us to this current moment here to have this conversation, which is just cool. Yeah. It's so rad. It's just amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Because honestly, I don't know that and this isn't like, I just, I haven't found another person at Gatehouse other than Sess 
who's had that experience that we can have this kind of conversation with. So I'm extremely excited and grateful that yeah. you reached out, Joe, and that we all have done this. Maybe we should just have like a gatehouse series. I think that we should bring Joe in as a regular guest just to have some input on stuff, you know, if, if he's willing to. I say that. <laughs> and he's like, no thanks. He's like, whoa there. I'm 100% like willing to. I would love to do that. I'd be, I'd be honored to do that. I mean, you guys, uh, there's people that, that I connect with that like brighten me up. And I get that from We feel the same, same. yeah. So, so I know there's people, there's people on the other end that like I mentor, right? You know what I yeah. mean? But like, I feel like you guys are like a different type of thing. I just, yeah. And I think there's other people out there that yeah. this, right? You know, and I wish I, I was better at reaching out, communicating, or having a platform like that. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, this person gets it. I can just feel it from them. I can look at their Facebook. Yeah. Page. Yeah. You know, like, I can look at their Instagram. I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a there's a few other people out there that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm curious. Because right? right? they made like this totally complete unique like life for themselves, right? That's like what I yeah, want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're all so grateful. And um, and we encourage you to look at the magic of your past experiences, your past relationships, those lives you've led that have gotten you to the moment you are now. And because that's like what this is all about. Why we started this is to look at the magical, beautiful side of our challenging experiences and allow it to make us more illuminated. Yeah. So. And are there any people from your past that you're called to at this stage as well, right? Because maybe it's time, as long as you're centered and, and secure around it, to go and reach out again and just see where they're at. I mean, 2023 in feng shui is a lot about relationships. So it's interesting that people come back around and reconnect in those sort of ways. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Please find us at Into the Magic on Instagram. That's with a CK at the end. You can also email us at intothemagic at gmail.com.